Support for this podcast is made possible by you. Visit www.allgirlsconsidered.org slash donate to help us build a world of endless possibilities for girls. I'm Sitlali Cruz. And I'm Alira Andre. Welcome, Welcome to, to All, All Girls, Girls Considered. Considered. A podcast dedicated to telling the stories of inspiring women and girls. Today we're speaking with Kelly Kraut. So Kelly Kraut is an author, a mom, a wife, and a student. So you have a lot of roles and I'm sure others with it. You wrote two books, one named Sam, A Fostering Hope Book, and the other one named Anne, A Fostering Hope Book as well. Welcome Kelly. Thank you. In your website, you wrote that you specialize on learning things the hard way. What is something that you learned the hard way while fostering and adopting your kids? Yeah, so I think I learned a lot of things the hard way, fostering and adopting. I think I had a very simplistic view of what it would be like to foster and adopt, and it just seemed like you just provide a kid with structure and love and give them their physical needs and things will just turn out fine. And it's actually a lot harder than that. Um, Foster kids come with a lot of emotional baggage that they've got to work through and that that can affect the whole family. And so that was quite the learning process. How did you and your family make the decision to become foster parents or a foster household? Yeah, Uh, well, I've always wanted to adopt since I was a little girl. And when I met my husband, he did not want to adopt, but I thought I could change his mind. And I actually don't recommend that technique to young people, but it it did kind of work out for us. So all's well that ends well. (laughs) But he did want to foster. And so after we'd had a couple of children of our own, uh, we started doing foster care and were pretty quickly given the opportunity to adopt. And I thought he wouldn't want to. And then he said, sure, kind of out of nowhere. So we did. (laughs) So that's sort of how that started going. We just wanted to provide help somewhere that we could do it. There's a big need in this area for foster homes and we had extra space and thought we could help. That's amazing. Can you summarize the adoption process and how it affected the family? Yeah, so adopting through foster care is a pretty unique scenario. It's a lot different than like a domestic or an international adoption. So when you adopt through foster care, you get a child through foster care and 99 times out of 100, the goal is gonna be reunification with the biological parent. And so we work the case and try to reunify the child with the parent. But if it's not safe to return the child home or the, the parent's rights are terminated for whatever reason, then family placement becomes the next best option. So they wanna place the child with a blood relative somewhere. Um, hopefully locally, but wherever they can find family. And if that doesn't work out, then adoption is kind of the last thing that they want to do because they want to preserve the family however they can. But if you're fostering a child who becomes available for adoption, as the foster home, you're typically the first stop. So we'd fostered a child for a while. His parents lost the right. There were no available family members to take him. And so we were sort of the first, hey, would you like to adopt him? And we were like, yeah. And I know that, although I've obviously never adopted a kid, but I know it usually takes years of a process. Was it the same when adopting from foster care as it is usually from just like a baby that's just recently been born? Right, that's a good question. No, in foster care, it can drag on, but a lot of times it's very quick. So in in our case, we found out that he was going to be available for adoption in November, and we actually adopted him in December. Um, But we had had him since January. So, but that's pretty, that's a fairly fast, case for foster care. Um, Our other son that we adopted, um, we found out we could adopt him about five or six months before we did it. But 
it's it's a little anticlimactic to adopt out of foster care because it's not like the kid is like brought to you in an airport or some romantic scene like it's just pretty much like the day before except maybe you change their name or you can put their face on Facebook or you know <laughs> so it's it's just a little bit different than a typical adoption what advice would you have for a family like yours that is considering becoming a foster home I would recommend they find other people doing the same thing. Find find a group of people who are also fostering or who have fostered who will just understand some of the challenges and understand maybe some of the behaviors that the kids are going to have um, so that you've just got some people that you can relate to. And as I mentioned in the intro of this episode, you've written two books. You're an author. Um, what was your inspiration for writing these books? Um, my kids were the inspiration. As we opened up for to be a foster home, I looked for children's books because our biological kids when we started were five, three, and one. And I wanted to find books that would explain the process to them, like what we were doing and why these kids were coming and how long they would stay. And there's just not many books out there like that. And if there are, they're very wordy. And I don't know if other people's kids sit still for a long amount of time, but mine do not. And so I wanted something short and sweet that accurately explain the process. So, and the first book is about a little girl that comes into foster care and then gets reunited with her mom. And then Sam is a little boy whose mom is not able to pull it together, but he's able to move in with a grandparent. So those are pretty common outcomes in this area for foster care. Do you plan to write any more? Well, I have written a third one for this series, and it's called Ivy, and it should be released in the next month or so. And so Ivy and her brother actually end up getting adopted by the foster family. So I tried to cover the three main outcomes, kind of in preferential order. We really want to preserve the family if we can, but if not, we'd like to see the kids get adopted, of course. And how can parents and families use books such as yours in order to help explain to their kids what is going to be occurring into their home that's yeah that's totally the goal of the book so I mean just reading the books and not just with foster kids and adopted kids but biological kids just because your kids in this area are going to school with kids who are in foster care and so it just helps them understand that not everybody's life looks just like yours and I want the kids in foster care to realize there are other kids whose lives look like yours and so I want kids to be able to find themselves in the stories um, the, the children's books are fairly vague, but still accurate. So it doesn't say exactly why they came into foster care, but you can kind of guess, or you could fill in your own mm -hmm. story of what could have happened. So so they basically explain it in like the best way for young Right. Children. It's simple, but it's accurate. Like It talks about visitations and, and going to court and reunification and all that stuff. So I wanted it to be accurate, but understandable. Um, we saw on your Instagram that you're starting graduate school. What program are you in and what do you hope to do after completing the program? Uh, yes, I am a professional student. I've been going to school for a very long time. Um, I just started working on my master's in social work. Um, I actually went to college right out of high school and went for about six years and changed my major literally 10 times before I finally quit because I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. I took like 15 gap years and uh, then went back to school as a, in my early 30s and finished my undergraduate. Um, and it was all because of foster care because um, um, as much as a foster care and adoption advocate that I am, I'm also not going to spin it like it's all rosy and rainbows. Like, it's really hard. And so dealing with the trauma of the kids has its own effect on, on the whole family. And we had the help of a bunch of amazing therapists uh, throughout the process. So going through the social work program, I can become a licensed clinical social worker who can actually do therapy in a clinical setting. So that's my goal is to be that person for another family. 
And were you nervous to start graduate school? Were you kind of indifferent? Or were you like, I completely got this. I'm <laughs> in like a queen. You know, I tend to think I've really got it. And then life has a way of really humbling you. So I had a kid get sick like on the second day of school and rocked my whole system. But we're, we're, getting, we're getting it together. But I, I love school as an adult because I know exactly what I want to do with it. And it's really interesting to me now. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. So what's the biggest challenge in going to graduate school and doing social work? Well, the biggest challenge in going to graduate school for me is just that I'm also running a very large family at home, so there's a lot of logistics. So I have to leave my house at 7.15, but my kid's school doesn't start until 8 o'clock. And so like, I have a babysitter at my house at 7 in the morning, and then someone who comes after school, and it's a whole thing. So that's the hardest part for me. As far as social work, I mean, it, it's a hard it's a hard area. It's just dealing with very vulnerable populations and sad stories and sometimes stories that don't have a clear black and white answer. So that's kind of challenging to figure out the gray areas. Do you have, do you have any advice for women such as you who are going in to study social work? Just that you can do what you want to do. Um, I'm just enjoying getting to do something for myself. I've been a mom for several years, and so this is school's been the first thing in a long time that I've done that is just for me. And so I think that's part of why I enjoy it so much. But just, you know, have some confidence and get out there and do what you want to do. So how has adoption and fostering impacted your family? Um, in a pretty huge way, because we're, we're a pretty large family. I drive like a 12-passenger van. It's pretty embarrassing, but it's, it's actually cool. My kids think it's like the awesome carpool mm-hmm. situation. But um, when our boys were real young, like, like I said, when they started, when they were just five, three, and one, we were just real simple and said, hey, some kids are going to come stay with us for a while or maybe a long time. <laughs> and that's like literally all we told them. And kids are just wildly resilient. They just kind of went with it and just accepted it. And there was one time when a couple of them were playing, there were two kindergartners at the time, my biological son and the little girl we were fostering. And out of nowhere, he said, hey, where is your home? And she was like, well, this is my home right now. And I just kind of sat there like, oh God, what's gonna happen now? This is gonna be awkward. And he was like, oh, okay. And then they just went on playing. Like, it just has been a non-issue. So they just really went with it most of the time. As they've gotten older, I, you know, once they were nine, 10, I started giving them a little bit of a vote. Like when we would talk about taking a placement, like, hey, what do you think about taking a 10-year-old girl? It would mean you would have to switch rooms and share with your brother. Like, what do you think about that? And kind of gave them some voice in it. And so it was a it was a family thing that we did. It wasn't like me and dad are fostering and you guys are along for the ride because really the foster siblings do probably more of the work than the foster parents because they're the ones playing with the kids and sharing their bathroom and sharing their space. So they've been really adaptive with it. How helpful have your kids been? They've, they've really been awesome. Uh, now, I won't lie and say that every placement has been just the smoothest. Uh, we've kind of found our sweet spot. Uh, we actually mostly foster teenagers. Um, I love teenagers. That's part of why I wanted to come be on the show today. Um, but we found that when we threw kids in that were around the same age as our kids, there was more fighting and fussing. And the older they were, um, the better space because that's just a different kind of energy. Um, you guys may not know this, but teenagers are more like mental energy um, and little kids are like a lot of physical energy. <laughs> They're chasing them around and you're rocking them to sleep and it's exhausting in that way. But teenagers want to talk about stuff and, and we just enjoyed that. And so that worked out um, really well for us. But it's kind of developed um, kind of an advocacy heart in most of our kids like they they're passionate about foster care too they always wanted to take in more kids and when they would hear me on the phone 
excuse me, on the phone with a caseworker and say, go, oh, I'm sorry, we can't do it this time. They'd be like, what? Who did you just turn down? Call them back. <laughs> and they were always wanting to take in more. I'm like, we're out of space, guys. But they they just got a heart for it. I think they have a much bigger worldview than the average kids just because they're exposed to these children who've come out of maybe extreme poverty or abuse and neglect. And they just, they know more. And it, it did mean we had some conversations with our boys maybe earlier than we wanted to, um, but conversations that we were going to have eventually anyway about, you know, drugs or words they should or shouldn't say or things like that. But I, I don't really think that that has harmed them. I think it's been a good thing for them in the long run. So going back to your books, you said that the reason why you wrote them is because when you were searching for books that could maybe help explain to your kids about what's going to be going on in your household, you really didn't find any. However, you wrote these books after you guys started fostering, right. correct? And um, I was wondering, I was wondering, how did you explain to your kids in that moment that this is what they would be doing? Well, like I said, we just sort of said, "Hey, these kids are going to come hang out for a while, or not stay very long." And foster care is wild. I mean, sometimes a kid will stay two or three days, and sometimes they stay a year and a half, and sometimes they stay forever. So there's really no preparing a five-year-old for that. They just sort of go fly by the seat of their pants. So when it came down to specific placements, we would say, hey, we're getting a one and a half year old boy tonight. He's gonna sleep here and you're gonna do X, Y, Z. And so we just sort of took it day by day and they they really went with it. But I think because we started when our kids were so young, they were super adaptive. Um, I know a lot of foster families and the ones who have children who are older, I think struggle a little bit more because they have more of a normal pattern, you know, routine created and it rocks their world a little bit more. Um, my kids don't really remember not fostering. So it's just sort of the culture of our house. What are some of the positive things about fostering? Well, it's, you get to, the, the rewards are pretty, pretty great to be able to be a safe place for a kid who's coming out of a totally chaotic situation. Uh, one of my favorite things is just getting to help kids experience first. And it's not always like their first step or their first word, but like we got to teach a teenager how to play Monopoly. They'd never played Monopoly or baked cookies or even gone shopping. A lot of kids have never shopped in a store where they got to buy something with tags on it um, that was brand new. And so just getting to be a part of those things and seeing their face light up, um, it's definitely my favorite part and for uh, families who are who are considering adopting or more specifically fostering what are some of the pros and cons you think that they should weigh about this process um that's a great question I think people who have control issues might struggle and I I'm I can be pretty controlling but I've learned to let go a lot of that uh, doing foster care because honestly as a foster parent you're kind of a glorified babysitter like you don't get a vote in how the case goes you don't get to decide eh, I don't think it's safe for them to go home or I think they should go home now like you don't get to make those calls you are just watching the kid and that's your job and that's that's hard for a lot of people and it's harder for some people than it is for others. So when given the option, how do you decide whether you wanted to adopt a kid or not? Yeah, that's a that's a huge decision. So when we were given the opportunity the first time to adopt um, our first son, we had already had him for 11 months in our home, which felt like a really long time. And it was a really large percentage of his life because he was only barely two at that point. And so for us at that time, it just felt like 
um, he's he's made so much progress with us, and we've grown to love this kid. And there were other adopt-only homes, so when people train to do foster care, they usually train to do foster care or be adopt-only homes, and it's the same training. But these adopt-only homes are waiting for adopt only placements and those adopt only placements only come up when the foster home says no I don't want to adopt and so had we chosen not to adopt there would have been a long list of adoptive homes that could have taken them but at that point we were kind of attached and wanted to keep them and felt like that was the best thing for him but sometimes it's not necessarily a good fit maybe the kid would be better off being the youngest child and they're not in the home or maybe they'd be better being the older child or maybe they need to be an only child and have some parents that can focus just on them so it's, it's definitely going to be unique to each situation, but in both of our cases where we adopted, it was just, oh man, we love them and I can't give them back now. <laughs> and some of your most important roles in life are mom, wife, student, and, and author. How do you manage these very important roles? <laughs> well, well, thanks. Um, I, I don't know that I manage them super well. You'd have to interview my family uh, to see. <laughs> but I do think I've, I've got a couple of strengths that work for me in that, that I'm, I'm pretty organized and efficient. And so I do things with, I mean, everything's got its own system. So we, you know, we've got a system for bedtime. We've got a system for how the kitchen gets cleaned up. I, you know, So I make sure that I make time to get everything done. And I make a lot of time for myself. I think self-care is super important. And so I make sure that I'm healthy so that I can help everybody else. Because you can't pour out of an empty cup. So, Do you consider yourself a feminist? Absolutely consider myself a feminist. I'm a, I'm a proud feminist. And I am really passionate. Everybody's got you know passions. But I'm really big on just being a voice for feminism that is not super extreme. I think feminism gets kind of a bad rap for some of the super extremes. You don't have to be a man hater or something ridiculous like that. There was a something floating around on Twitter this weekend about a guest speaker at a super conservative college where the lady said, I'm not a feminist. I love my husband and I love my family and I'll always make my husband a sandwich or something like that. And I thought, oh, good grief. I, I'll make my husband a sandwich, but guess what? He makes me sandwiches sometimes too. And so I'm passionate about things being equal and just empowering women to do what they want to do. So I'm not anti-stay-at-home mom. I'm pro-stay-at-home mom. I'm pro whatever women want to do. Um, homemaking is a really hard and noble job and more power to you, but don't tear down the women that want to work because we need those women too. So that's, that's what I'm about, just empowering other women. And the last question that we'd like to ask you is what advice would you give to young girls listening to this podcast? I want them to realize that they are the future. They're the future of feminism. They're they're coming into a world where it's still kind of hard to be a girl, but you've got to stand up for what you believe in and take up the space that you take up. You don't have to be quiet because there's a guy in the room. Take the mic and say what you need to say and just you do you. So that's that would be my advice to girls. Thank you so much, Kelly, for taking the, your time to come here and speak with us and goodbye. Thank you. All Girls Considered believes in a world where girls and women matter. You can support our work by donating at www.allgirlsconsidered.org slash donate right now. We can't do this without you.